Um, so a couple, a couple of things that I wanted to do before we jump into new material. The first is I wanted to do some review about what we talked about last week because it was a lot. Um, because we're, if you remember from last week, we're talking about the Mosaic Covenant. So we've left the Abrahamic Covenant behind, um, even though we're going to talk about it more, simply because of how impactful it is, right, for the rest of uh, redemptive history. But now we're starting to talk about the Mosaic Covenant. So we're t- starting to talk about the covenant that God made with Israel at Sinai. Um, so... We asked a few questions, right? We've, we've been looking at covenant theology through a couple of lenses. One of those lenses is how all of the covenants fit together, right? The overall plan of redemption, what God is doing in the big picture. Um, but another question that we've asked is, okay, we have this promise in Genesis 3.15. Right? God promises to give a seed of the woman who's going to crush the head of the serpent, and his heel is going to be bruised by the serpent. But we don't know what that means, Right? If, you were, if you didn't know anything about the Bible, if you didn't know anything about God or anything that God was doing, and all you knew was there was going to be this promised seed, that's pretty vague. Right? You don't know a lot about, okay, where is this promised seed going to come from? How do we know that God is going to preserve this line? How do we know he's going to keep his promise? Um, what is this seed even going to do? What does it mean that his head is going to be bruised? What does it mean his heel is going to be bruised? Um, He's going to crush the head of the serpent, sorry. So we've started to look at the covenants through this lens, right? God is is slowly unfolding. What does it mean, and what does this promise mean for God's people? Um, So the first question that we asked was, well, God has this promise, right? How do we know God's going to keep this promise? And how do we know the serpent's not going to win? How do we know the serpent won't swallow up the line of the woman before the seed even has a chance to come? And so he said that the Noahic covenant answers those questions, right? God promises to sustain the line of the the seed by preserving the world, right? Never again would the world be destroyed by a flood, which means that seed, that promised line is going to continue, um, which also means that the promised line of the serpent will have to continue as well. But God in the Noahic covenant sets... up creation as saying, I'm, I'm going to sustain creation. I'm not going to destroy it until the very end, um, which gives us the space for grace to work within, right? We talked about that with the Noah Covenant. So we answered that question. Well, now we have to ask the question, well, for, where is this promise he's going to come from? Who is he going to come from? Um, whose son will he be? And the Abrahamic covenant answers that question. We now know it's going to be of the Abrahamic lineage. And not simply Abrahamic lineage, but the descendants of Abraham through Isaac. Right? We looked at how Abraham had two sons. He had Isaac and he had Ishmael. God made his covenant with Isaac, but not with Ishmael. There's two lineages now that God has, has said that he will bless. Two lines descending, descending from, Abra, uh, from Isaac and from Ishmael. One is with the covenant, and the other is blessed, but God did not make a covenant with. So we started to, to talk about the fact that God is preserving the line of the promised seed and the line of the serpent, because Ishmael will be set up almost as a, like, a, a mirror image of Israel. God promised that Ishmael would have 12 princes. Right? He would father 12 princes, just like how Isaac would father, through Jacob, 12 tribes. That there's now a parallelism, but one has a covenant and one does not. So now we know God was going to protect the promised seed. He's going to come through Abraham and through Isaac. And now we are 
going to ask the question, well, what kind of person is this promised seed going to be? What is this promised seed going to do? And that's, that's the lens that we're going to be looking through the Mosaic Covenant with. We're going to start asking of the Mosaic Covenant, okay, who is this promised seed? What's he going to do? What's he going to be like? And the Mosaic Covenant answers those questions. Um, that's kind of the focus that I want to keep because there's a lot going on in the Mosaic Covenant. Um, there's a lot that I, <laughs> I want to talk about and we probably won't have time. Um, but that doesn't mean we can't talk about other things. But we're going to try to keep the big picture in mind. Um, so the big, the big questions we asked last week were pretty simple, right? Who is the covenant with? Do you remember what we, how we answered that question? Who is this Mosaic covenant with? Who are the parties of this covenant? Was that? The people of Israel and God. And remember we talked about it's the people of Israel and not the elect. The new covenant or the covenant of redemption, right, in, in which God promises to save the elect. Here God is making a covenant with a certain people, with one people group that is a mixed multitude. Because back in Exodus, when Israel came out of Egypt, they were a mixed multitude, right? There were not just Jews, there were also Gentiles. It's with this whole group that God makes this covenant at Sinai. And what are the terms of the covenant? What does God say to this, this group, this, this nation of Israel? Matthew? God says, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be my people, my treasure possession. If you keep my covenant and you obey, you will be my people, my treasure possession. Gives them the land. What about for disobedience? What does God say? He says, if you obey my covenant, you get to stay in the land and you'll be blessed. What? What's that? If you don't, you'll be cursed. Right. If you don't, you'll be cursed. So what kind of covenant does that sound like? A workspace covenant. Is there any covenant in the Bible that reminds you of? Adam. Adam. Yeah. And there's one other, actually, that we didn't talk about last week. Um, but are there any other covenants that the Mosaic Covenant reminds you of? The Noahic Covenant. Mm, how so? The Noahic Covenant was not really a works covenant. That's okay. Think about the big picture. Big, big, big picture. Brittany? The covenant with, in which Christ fulfilled the law Yeah. It's kind of a mixed covenant because it's all about something right for the rest of us, but this portion would be works-based. Well, the, the covenant of redemption, which you're talking about, right, is a works-based covenant. Where God says, okay, if you obey me, you will be blessed. Here are the blessings. You'll receive a name above every name. You'll sit at my right hand. Things that Jesus, it's not that Jesus was gaining anything new, right? But it was being confirmed in a sense. But Jesus was also agreeing to it because as he obeyed, right, all of God's people, all of the elect 
were brought into the obedience as well. They received the same blessing. So it was a covenant of works for Jesus. But for us, we receive it through the covenant of grace as grace. But you're right. It's a works-based covenant. God says, obey me and live, disobey me and die. But is there any difference between, say, the covenant with Adam and the covenant at Sinai? Is there any difference there? Are they exactly the same, or are there any differences? Michelle? You said last week the covenant of Moses was about the land, and the covenant of Adam is about eternal life. Yeah. Yeah, the, the covenant with Adam was about eternal life and about heaven. Um, if Adam obeyed, right, the rewards he would have received would have been eternal life, perfection, um, to live in, in paradise and heaven forever. Right? What, the things that we look forward to, Adam would have received by his own obedience. Um, that is not being promised to Israel. Right? Israel is not being promised eternal life. They're not being promised heaven. They're not being promised um, paradise. They're simply being promised, if you obey, you'll get to live in this one particular physical land of Canaan, and you'll have a long life. And it'll be a good life. What happens after death is, is not within the realm of the Sinai covenant. What happens after death is in the realm of the covenant of grace. Right? So eternal life is still being addressed, but it's not through the Mosaic covenant. It's through the Abrahamic covenant. Because the covenant of grace is still working. covenant of grace is how you receive eternal life. But God is, is offering... Life, long life, and blessed life in the land if Israel obeys. And there's a similarity, right? It's, God is setting up this similarity so that um, we start to see a pattern. We start to see the pattern of works. We start to see the pattern of if you obey, here are the things you receive as a reward. If you disobey, here are the things you receive as a curse. Um, and we'll start to talk about what that means and why that's important. Um, but I wanted to I want to jump back and address Charlie's question from last week just a little bit because um, Charlie asked last week about righteousness right would Israel have earned righteousness um, by their by their obedience right you asked that last week yeah I asked for the clarification and distinction between because the allusion to Adam they're not earning the same thing you had said previously he was earning they are earning or maintaining the land. Mm-hmm. It's the use and it wasn't self-ethic, so they're, they're not earning um, right standing before God in this covenant self-ethically. Right. So that's what you, yeah. Yeah. And I, I just want to hammer home and, and clarify that distinction even further, that whenever you're talking about a covenant, the best thing to ask is, okay, so what are the terms? What is God promising, and what is God saying, here are the consequences if, if you fail, right? What are, what are you called to do? What happens if you do it? What happens if you don't? Um, so with the, uh, the Sinai covenant, you just ask, okay, so what does God say? God says, if you obey, here are the blessings. None of them include eternal life. None of them include um, heaven, right? They all include simply life in the land temporally on this earth. Um, for Adam, right, the, the implication that we, we understood was, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall die. If you don't, the implication is you'll live, right? If you keep this covenant, you will receive eternal life. 
Um, so, in a sense, when I said that Adam was earning righteousness, I was kind of using that contextually, and that was maybe not the, the most helpful way to put that, um, because Adam was created in righteousness, right? He, he was not out of standing with God. He was not sinful. He was not adversarial to God, because the opposite of righteousness is unrighteousness. Adam was righteous, um, but by his obedience... Not only would his righteousness have been confirmed, but also perfected, because he still wasn't perfect. Um, by his obedience, he would have earned the rewards. And so Israel is similar, because by their obedience, they would have earned the rewards. But their right standing before God is not the terms of the covenant. Their right standing before God still requires um, grace because of the fall. So Israel... Something is happening in the Mosaic that was not happening with the covenant with Adam, if that makes sense. Um, is, that, is that a helpful clarification? Charlie? Yeah, it, it would be that their right standing before God is already established independent upon the promise. So there's nothing that they're doing within this covenant administration because this is an ornament on the Abrahamic covenant dealing with. Like, they're already God's chosen people, not by their own effort or will. This is what God says to them. There's nothing special in you that made me choose you. It was of his own volition and predetermination. So, like, they have a standing before him that's based on his grace already. This is him giving them the house rules, the economy of what it means to be his people and to display his holiness and character to the surrounding nations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all true. Um, there's a couple of things in addition that I think God is doing in the Mosaic Covenant, even more so than just simply teaching us what it means you know, to live a godly life. I think God is doing some, some things that are even more significant. Um, but we'll get to all of that because, like I said last week, this is going to take us a while to just, to just uncover, unpack, and talk about all of it. But let's start talking about how the Abrahamic covenant and how the Mosaic covenant are working. Um, Because clearly there's a difference, right? Clearly they're not the same covenant. But if they're not the same, what's different and what's the same and how are they working together? Um, So I want to pitch that question to you. Um, how How are the Abrahamic and the Mosaic covenant different? Let's start there. How are they different, Jonathan? The Abrahamic Covenant works with supernatural events, like the birth of Christ, Christ healing, Christ dying on the cross, and rising again on the third day, etc., etc. Whereas the Mosaic Covenant deals down in the physical world. I actually love some of those. And it deals with Israel having to obey in both the physical and the spiritual worlds to be 
Yeah, so you, you, you had a, a bunch of different threads there, but I think you're, you're on to a couple of things, Jonathan, where, yes, what God is doing is, is he's setting up a covenant in which Jesus will enter. Um, so I think it's, where is it? It's in Galatians 4, where Paul says, um, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. Um, and when, Paul is, when, what Paul says, when Paul says law in Galatians, he's talking about the Mosaic Covenant. So Jesus was born under the Mosaic Covenant in order to redeem those under the Mosaic Covenant, under the covenant of law. Um, so, if it's law... Right as we as we just mentioned earlier too, if it's a covenant of works, and we know the covenant with Abraham was what grace. So already there's something different. Israel was under a covenant of works in the Mosaic covenant, and then the Abrahamic though was a covenant of grace. And if you remember what the Abrahamic promised, right? It promised a land. So did God change His mind? Okay. He's just laying down the law. He's saying, I will give you this land. I will hand over its population to you. But, but you must obey me or you will lose control of the land. In fact, you will obey me. Right, but saying, it's... Only me, I will give you the land. But that's a conditional... That's a conditional yes, promise, though. That's true. But in the Abrahamic covenant, he promised to unconditionally. Michelle? Abraham was looking forward to a heavenly land. Okay. So one option is Abrahamic was not dealing. God did not mean Canaan when he promised a land to Abraham. That's one option. like the Christmas present that your parents take away because you were you didn't eat your vegetables. Um, okay, so one option is one option is what God promised to Abraham was not the land of Canaan. He was talking about something different. Um, another option is that the promise to enter was con- was unconditional, but the promise to stay in it was a conditional promise. Um, I want to, I forget where it is exactly, but so 
So this is, this is Genesis 17, verse 8, where God says to Abraham, And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Okay. So yeah. He cuts a covenant to you. The land is not conditional in that covenant. God just says, I'm going to give you a land. So, what land? Right. Yeah, and in 17, he specifies the land of Canaan. So, the first option is a little, little shaky. Although, you have a point because Hebrews says Israel was looking for a heavenly land. Can it be both? Okay, there's another option. Maybe it's both. Matthew, had your hand up? Well, I'm just going to add this Paul in verse 3 points out that the offspring that God was referring to when he promised, made that promise to Abraham was Christ. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, yes, Christ is the king of the universe. Okay. Yeah, so one of the other options is that, yeah, when Paul says it was not to Abraham's seeds, but seed meaning Jesus. Paul's doing some, Paul's doing some whack stuff, but yeah, we have to wrestle with that too. Sergey, did you want to say something? Yeah, that Abraham had an even bigger scope. Somehow he understood by faith that what God was promising was, was more than just the land of Canaan. Um, there's a lot of different threads, right? There's a lot of different things to wrestle with in passages, partly because I think God is doing multiple things, right? He's rarely ever doing one thing at a time. Even the things that he does, he's got different angles. He's got different things that he's doing even in one event. Um, I think it's true that he was promising the land of Canaan to Abraham and to his offspring. Um, but for a temporary period of time, God said, okay, you this land that I promised to give to you, let's make a condition upon your obedience. And let's see how you do. Let's see what happens if you get in by grace, but stay in by works. Let's see what happens. <laughs> How long does that last? Roughly. Yeah, somewhere between two minutes and six hours, however long it took for Aaron to build the golden calves. Right? As one of my professors in seminary said, this was when Israel built the golden calves, they were committing adultery on their wedding night. They had just made the covenant. And just said, all of these things we will do. And also look at these golden calves and how pretty they are. Let's worship them. Like, it's mind-boggling because it's so stupid, but that's the point. If you want to do it by get in by grace, stand by works, let's look at the Mosaic Covenant and see how well that worked. Didn't. I think that's one of the points of the Mosaic Covenant is to show us we cannot keep... We cannot earn the promises. If we think that God is going to give us eternal life, we just have to do our part to keep it. That's utter foolishness. Because it took Israel all five seconds to lose it. And the covenant was broken. 
right? Moses dashed the tablets. The Mosaic Covenant that had just been created was broken. So that's one point. So that's one thread, right? Another thread is Deuteronomy 4. Because God, when he's telling Israel what, he, what they're to do, he's, he's giving them the terms of the covenant. He says in Deuteronomy 4 that they're going to rebel. They're going to lose the land because of their disobedience. He's predicting it, um, that it will come to pass. And he says that they will be scattered from the land, right? They'll be cast out. They'll be thrown to the nations from which he called them. But then he says, from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the later days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. So through it all, through the Mosaic Covenant, even with all of the the things that are heaped on, all the laws that are heaped on Israel in order for them to obey, the the Abrahamic Covenant never stops. It doesn't, it's not negated by the Mosaic Covenant. It's not cut off. It's not forgotten. It's still going. It's still enforced. It's still in effect. So that when the Mosaic Covenant fails, when Israel breaks it and loses the land, they will gain it back by virtue of the covenant with Abraham. So that when God says, when he promises the land to them, first of all, he's talking about a land of Canaan that he will bring them back to. But he's actually also stepping back and saying, I'm doing something greater than just, we're talking about more than just land here. We're talking about life. We're talking about coming back to your God. Because the Lord your God is a merciful God. Because the land was never Israel's true hope. The land was always meant to pull Israel to God. It was where they were able to dwell with God. So when Abraham... And so in Hebrews 11, the author is talking about how Abraham and how Israel were looking for heavenly places, heavenly land, not just earthly ones. What they were looking for was, was God. What they were looking for and hoping for was to live with the Lord for eternity. They were looking for heaven. The Mosaic Covenant could not offer it. They needed something different. The Mosaic Covenant, and by virtue, right, their obedience could not earn them heaven. It could not earn them uh, God's presence. It could teach them. It could tell them a lot about who God is and about what's required to be in God's presence. But what's abundantly clear is that they were not capable. They could not keep the physical land, let alone the heavenly one. John, you had your hand up. Okay. So that's another thread, right, that God is doing at the same time. That he is, he's working with a physical land, but he's, he's also working with a heavenly one. He's talking about eternal life, even as he's, as he's talking about temporal life. Um, Charlie? Scripture that 
bears the same name as Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua in the Old Testament, who is this mighty figure that goes before the people as a sort of proto, this other image in Christ figure, Con like conquests, destroys all the enemies of God, dispels everything out of the land, and they actually receive all of this land, which they did not, cities they did not build, gardens that they did not plant, all of these things. And it was almost, I think, God imaging, this is what it will be like, but this is not the final word. This is what it looks like for God to put his enemies under his feet, but this is not the final conquest. The final conquest comes later, and therefore their disobedience still disinherited them the land eventually after Solomon. Right? But it's like they got the land, they lose it, they get it, they build the temple, they lose it. And so there's, there's these two pictures happening. You did not do this of your own volition. God is delivering you. The walls of Jericho, God knocks them down, right? But then, because of your disobedience, you are still liable to discipline, to judgment, right? But see what we've done here. This is what it will be like, you know, pointing forward. Is that fair? Yeah. In other words, the Mosaic Covenant is addressing who is the promised seed going to be and what they're going to do. I don't think like don't think of prototype in the way that I think you may be thinking of it. It's more like he said I think I think this is maybe not this is maybe not super important right now. This is a better conversation for after Sunday school. Um, it's a good question, Jonathan, and, and you and I can talk about it. And I'm sure you can talk with Charlie as well. Um, but let's let's get back to the point, right? The relationship between Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant. So a couple of threads that we've already looked at. Um, another another thread to throw out that's related is. Think of Exodus 20 and think of every time we read the law every morning, every Sunday morning. Right, what do we say first before we read the actual commandment? Yeah. I am the Lord your God, brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. What is that? Okay, it's an identification. Okay, establishing a relationship, a prior relationship. Declaration of God's faithfulness. Okay, declaration of God's faithfulness. Did God bring Israel out of Egypt on the basis of their obedience? Which means it's on the basis of what? What's that? His choice. His choice. Motivated by what? Why did God choose to bring Israel out of Egypt? Because he loved them. By grace. By grace. Are there any... Because he made 
because he made a covenant. Exodus 2, which I I know you all remember because I didn't preach it that long ago. It's only been six months. Um, So obviously you all remember the sermon perfectly. Um, God says in Exodus 2... Right? God saw the people of Israel. God heard their, their, their cries for help. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob. And, yeah, Jacob. And God knew. Right? He remembered his covenant. Which means, it's not that God ever forgot it. But what that means is that God is saying, okay, now on the basis of this covenant, I'm going to act. So when God says to Israel, right, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, he's saying, because of the covenant of Abraham, I have done this for you. I have done this for you. Therefore, here's the Mosaic covenant. Two different covenants. So one is grace, right? I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the other is works. You shall have no other gods before me. Because if you do, you'll be cast out of the land. All right, so when the Lord says, gives this preamble, this is the, the foundation of the Mosaic Covenant is built upon the Abrahamic promises. But then he's giving those promises into Israel's hands and saying, I have done this for you. Now, let's see how you do if you hold them by your own works. Let's put it into your obedience and see what happens, if you can keep the promises or not. So there's... They're, like I said uh, you know, 10 minutes ago, what happens if you're brought in by grace, but you stand by works? Um, so they're interacting. Right? The Abrahamic and the Mosaic are, are interacting. They're, they're playing together in a sense. Um, like I said last week, the Mosaic covenant is, is law-serving grace. That the point of the Mosaic is, is not about, okay, let's make sure that you can obey me because, you know, that's going to be really important. The point is, you're going to fail so horribly that you're going to realize how much you need grace. How much you have to depend upon the Abrahamic promises, upon the promises of grace. How much you need someone else to do it for you because of how incapable you are. Right, so it's important to realize that that the Mosaic Covenant does not erase the Abrahamic prom- promises, um, nor are the promises of the Abrahamic suddenly God changing his mind and saying, okay, now they're conditional. They were unconditional, now, now they're not. No, God is saying right, that we're supposed to be seeing something greater through the Mosaic, that through the law, God is teaching us about grace. Because what does God do right after Israel makes the golden calves? What happens? Do you remember that story? Israel makes the golden calves. What does God do? He what? He makes them eat it and then he gives them the law again. <laughs> yeah, he makes them eat it and then makes them do the law again. Um, is he going to destroy them and then Moses intercedes for them? Yeah. That's how it goes? Yeah, God says, you know what? Just going to start over with you, Moses. We're going to destroy Israel, and Moses will be the it's instead of Abraham. That'll be Moses. Um, we'll start over, and Moses says, "No, no, blot my name out of the book of life instead of theirs." Right? He's prefiguring Christ in a way by being a substitute, which goes back to Exodus four when he saw substitutionary atonement being worked out in front of his eyes. 
when Zipporah cut off his son's foreskin and threw it at his feet, which saved Moses' life. Moses realized at that point, okay, substitutionary atonement. You need someone else to take the fall when you have messed up. So when Israel messes up, Moses steps in to take the fall. Obviously, he's a human. He can't, but he tries. And the Lord says, for your action, I will back. I will not destroy Israel. Instead, I'll make the law again. He makes the tablets again. In other words, when Israel breaks the Mosaic Covenant, God reestablishes it by grace. It says, let's try again. <laughs> and that'll happen a lot of times. Is the Mosaic Covenant still in effect? How do you know? I think that there's clear language in the New Testament where Paul is talking about that which is passing away. He's not talking about the moral law, but he's talking about the accidental you know, expressions of the law given to Israel specifically as a localized geopolitical nation-state. Christ being the true Israel, I call my son out of Egypt. There's this transition happening, and I think the New Testament reflects that. Christ fulfilled those things specifically that national Israel owed to God. And when we are in him, we vicariously fulfill that because of what he has done. Yeah, in other words, if the Mosaic Covenant is teaching us about the promised seed and what he'll do, when the promised seed comes and does it, you don't need the Mosaic anymore. It's accomplished its purpose. It's fulfilled. It's ended. And another way we know is because we're not all avoiding shrimp. We get to go and have shrimp tempura at Sushi House. Because we're not under the Mosaic Covenant anymore. We're not keeping kosher. We're not, we're not making sure that we're circumcised or, or we're going to be cut off from the covenant. We're not trying to keep the land of Canaan by our obedience. That's for Israel. What about the rest? I mean, for Christians, but what about the rest of the world that don't know Christ? For the rest of the world, they are still under the covenant of works with Adam. Yeah, Mosaic still ended, but you're either under Adam as your covenant head, or you're under Jesus as your covenant head. No other options. You're either inside the ark or you're outside of it. Are there any final thoughts or questions before we close for today? John? I have to say, Galatians 3 ties that up really well. <clears throat> oh, foolish Galatians. Paul goes on to explain to them that they began with faith. And Abraham, he reaches back in Galatians 3 and goes back to Abraham and says that he was preaching righteousness through Abraham to the Gentiles mm-hmm. by faith. Yeah, by faith. Not by works. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's pray and give thanks and uh, ask God to prepare our hearts for worship this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you that salvation is not dependent upon us because if it was, we would have broken it a thousand times over just today. We thank you, Lord, that you have saved us. We thank you that you have given us faith as a gift, not for ours to keep by our obedience ours to have forever through your son Jesus we thank you Lord 
We pray that you would prepare our hearts to worship you this morning, that in gratitude and in joy we'd come before you with singing and with praise and with gratitude in our hearts and on our lips. And Lord, may you be glorified today as we worship. May your will be done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.